First Samuel 16.7 says, The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So today, we are going to look at a couple of shorter parables that illustrate another major theme of Jesus' teaching. The Lord looks at the heart. Let's get into it. All right, listen up, everybody. It's another episode of Doable Discipleship. You sound like a newsboy. I'm Doug Jones. Not taking any guff from anybody today. Jason, wait wow. you're over there. I, I won't give you Here any guff, usual. Doug. Keep your guff to yourself. There'll be no <laughs> guff had today. How you doing, man? Uh, I have <laughs> been a bit busy, so it's been a busy, it's been a real busy week. Yeah, it has. That's for you having me. Yeah, didn't an event to yours that was going to be like a couple hundred people turn into like 700 and some people? We had one, okay, the event on one day was set, at, we had like 280 people registered, and then we come in the next morning, and there's well over 700 registered. Jason's eyes goggled yeah, out of his head, like, oh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it changed the course of my week. How about that? <laughs> I'm sitting at my desk, just working away, and I just see Jason darting around constantly. I'm like, literally going and in forth. and out of our office, just like the door is just constantly opening and closing. But I'm glad that, you know what, doing this right now, it's a nice little reprieve. Yeah. Just yeah. Kick, kicking back. As I see the emails in my inbox just <laughs> bouncing around. That's good. I feel blessed right now. I, I am the only member of my family of four that has not had strep throat in the past week. Well, obviously, you've been obedient to God and the others haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's <laughs> not oh, how that works. Don't the worry. Lord has granted me a hedge of protection. Mm. Oh, man. I'm sorry about the strep. First Amelia, then Jude, yeah. now Joyce. Mm. And Joyce had it pretty bad, too. Bummer. But uh, here I am. You've made on it On top through. of the heap. Good job. Unfelled by this <laughs> loathsome disease. And Clyde. And Clyde. Clyde's doing fine. Good. Yeah, he's cool. Cool. Uh, all right. Let's start talking about what we're talking about today. This is part four. Am I? Am no. I, nope. It's part five. <laughs> yep. <laughs> of a series that we've been doing on the parables of Jesus. Hope you've been joining us the whole way through. If you haven't, just just pause it, go back and listen to episode yeah, 84, right. The Power of the Parable, start there, and then come back. I mean, at least listen to that intro one, because honestly, look, you're not going to know how to read a parable if you don't listen to that first episode. It's very important. We talk about interpretive keys that will really help you get the most and uh, really understand the parables of Jesus in, in a whole new and better way. And you should probably listen to last week, because this is kind of a part two of last week's episode. Here's... Here's an important lesson, everyone. <laughs> Listen to all the episodes, okay? They're Just, not going anywhere. They're all out You're there. You're not going to miss out. Do it, doable discipleship is free. You don't have right. to pay for it. Even if it's not that good, it's still free. Speaking of this, go to that ad break. Nope. Uh, yeah, no that's break. right. There isn't one. You don't have commercials. <laughs> you don't have to pay for this. I mean, you're blessed. <laughs> so uh, today we're talking about uh, the next theme from the parables of Jesus, which is called The Lord Looks at the Heart. Yeah. And we're obviously in a funky mood, but we're having a good time. Hope you are too. It's the afternoon. It's Jason raining. just did a little wiggle in his chair. Yeah. All right. So the parable we're going to look at today is actually sort of two parables. And you might be thinking, are these really parables? Because they're not full on stories. But remember what we talked about in week one. If you were listening, if you haven't, episode 84, go back and do it. Uh, a parable literally means to cast beside. It means that you cast a 
familiar idea out, and alongside it, you cast an unfamiliar idea so that you will understand the less familiar idea because of its association with the familiar idea. So it doesn't necessarily have to be some big, lengthy, fully developed story, although many times Jesus' parables were like that. Sometimes they're just short little snippets that illustrate a that illustrate a point, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. So we're going to be looking at uh, what we can call the parable of the cup and the whitewashed tombs. This is from Matthew uh, chapter twenty three, verses twenty five through twenty eight. <clears throat> I'm going to catch my breath. Uh, Take everybody a few. Breathe in, breathe out, and uh, I'm going to read this. So uh, please enjoy Matthew chapter twenty three. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like religious people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. That's a very blunt, very uh, very illustrative uh, look. Yeah, it's, well, you know, inside like... Inside you are filled with people's bones and another impurity. Like like when we talked about the the parable of the prodigal son, it's like, man, Jesus like basically painted like the most abjectly bad picture that he could possibly come up yeah. with, and he's kind of doing that again. Like, what's the most impure thing for a Jewish person? Like, what would illustrate this point the most? Uh, a grave filled with with dead people's bones. Yes. You know, Jesus is really making a strong strong point here. Mm-hmm. And one of Jesus's key objectives was to expose the inner life of his listeners. He did that quite frequently. He knew his crowd. He knew what the people were thinking. And he uses these illustrations, these parables, to really expose what was going on internally in the people, what what they were thinking, how they uh, how they were um, engaging their heart, that kind of thing. Yes. Oh, I'm looking up a verse real quick that I wanted to read, if I can find it. Uh, so keep I, talking. Should I wait for you? Or? Dance, monkey. Yeah, uh, Yeah. I'm almost there. Okay. I'm about to use the word veneer, and I'm excited for it. Okay. And you kind of are cool. getting in the way of that. So, you know, this is the thing I wanted to reference. Uh, at Jesus' birth, right afterwards, his uh, parents took him to the temple to be dedicated, and they ran into a guy named Simeon there. Mm-hmm. And go back and listen to the Christmas specials to hear all about Simeon. I referenced him a couple weeks back as well. Uh, but I'm bringing this up um, because he says something really, uh, uh, just really interesting to to the couple when they come, Mary and Joseph, and dedicate Jesus. He says, <clears throat> um, he says that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed mm-hmm. by Jesus, that in his ministry... He will go around and he will make known uh, the truth about people's hearts, like what's really going on on the inside. He he was not fooled by um, the outward facade that people sometimes had. He saw right through that. In fact, we see in the Gospels quite a few times where it, it says Jesus knew their hearts and said, you know, he knew what was going on. He knew what was going on in their minds and their hearts and that he would react to that uh, appropriately. So it's a big part of Jesus' ministry is just exposing the hearts of the people. 
Yeah, he 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 liked to point out discrepancies between a person's outer veneer. There we go. Got to say veneer. it. And their inner motives, or what the Bible calls the heart. Heart. And he was he was keenly aware that you cannot really judge a book by its cover. Um, so, what we're talking about today, and what we're going to look at, are are seven things that just don't impress a God that much. <laughs> And Go ahead and start singing we Shania say it that Twain. Way in honor of Shania Twain's that don't impress me much. Um, no, which... we don't. We don't say that in honor of Shania Twain's don't impress me much song. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so, we've never made a song so dedication on the show. We're not going to impress... start now. Okay. Um, People are just stopping and deleting this episode now. People are starting to sing along. Um, okay, the first thing that we talked about, and we refer- we alluded to it last week, is fame. Fame does not impress God. Uh, Luke 6, 26 says, What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds, for their ancestors also praised false prophets. Uh, pretty clear. There. Well, and what, he's, <laughs> what he's saying, <laughs> since you're going to give up on that verse so I quickly. wasn't. I was going to the next oh, you part. Uh, you know, what he's, what he's talking about here is that these are people, you know, they're they're like, look, don't be all, don't think yourself too highly because the crowds praise you because sometimes the crowds praise people that aren't worth praising. They're not praiseworthy. Yeah. So that don't, the whole false prophets idea in as Jesus is talking in Luke is like, look, the same people who who tout you religious leaders as being so fancy and great are, you know, the same people who descended from those who who threw out God's prophets and yeah. praised false prophets. Don't so forget, like, crowds were Worshipping a golden calf at one point. Yeah, don't let your worth be determined by what the crowd says about you, that's for sure. Yeah, I was not getting away from the verse. I was going to my next point, which was that gaining uh, or the recognition and praise of others can be enticing, but it can also be a dangerous trap. And we should not assume that just because we are being praised by people that God is impressed with us. Again, we talked about how crowds also have praised false prophets. And truly, no number of fans or followers or likes or Instagram followers or whatever can hide our hearts from God. God doesn't, you know, he's not saying, oh, you have millions of followers on your Twitter account. You must be all right. (laughs) I can't look past that sea of people. (laughs) Yeah, no. God's not looking for consensus when he decides, you know, his his opinion on you. He's not like, well... Well, I don't know. Like this many people. You like got it. a lot. Yeah, you got a lot of followers. I mean, people I really like you. I think I read something the other day that an Instagram picture, or like, of an egg, is now the most liked picture ever on Instagram. <laughs> really? Yeah, just of an egg. Oh man, I'm out of touch. I haven't been on Instagram in a long time. I don't. I don't use Instagram. I read this somewhere else. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I believe that's the truth. So what we're talking. So what really what this is getting at is fame does not impress God. It it's not something that God looks for. It's not something that God is calling everybody to. Um, and so, so, but it's, it's a, it's kind of a source of pride in our lives is sometimes we seek that attention is we want fame in that sense of, of being recognized by lots and lots of people. But what God's saying is, I don't, I don't need that. I don't, I don't care about that. Yeah. I care about what's underneath. You're making a really good point there. Cause I think it's easy to see, like you hear about, you hear somebody talking about fame and like how it can be toxic, that kind of thing. It's easy to be like, well, I'm not famous. <laughs> like, yeah, hardly anybody knows who I am. But uh, that's not the point. 
Uh, and the point here, and what does apply to all of us, is we all, like Jason just said, we want recognition from others. We all want to be appreciated. We want to be seen in a certain way. And um, that is a dangerous trap because you can find yourself appealing to the opinion and tastes of others rather than to the, um, you know, to the one audience that really matters, which is God. Yeah. All right. So fame's the first one. Doesn't matter how famous you are. God's not impressed by that. So number what's two. the second thing that don't impress God much? Number two. I can't get that ah. tune out of my head now. Ah, <laughs> oh, you jerk. Uh, the second thing that God's not impressed by is wealth. God's like, you got money? Big deal. I have more. Luke 18, 25 says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Rick likes to talk about this verse um, because it's it's like a it's an example of typical Hebrew humor, which is humor by exaggeration. It's like, you know, camel through the eye of a needle, hilarious. Ah, and it is. It's try a to picture that. It's picture a good that. laugh line. Is the camel small or is the needle big? How does it work? You know, I never pictured it from the angle of an enormous needle. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> anyway, and uh, what a pointless thing that was to even think about. Um, but, and, and Rick is totally right, but he also makes the point that, that, you know, Jesus is saying something really, really key here, that while uh, riches can be enjoyable to have and money can be a, a great thing to have, it can also be um, a bit of a, a two-edged sword. It can be actually a barrier for people. Um, I'm, I'm listening right now to an audiobook. It's called The Journal of John Wesley. And John Wesley was uh, just a, a great British preacher back in the 1700s, um, lived a long life, did a lot of ministry, went around just teaching all over, pretty much all over, um, all over Britain. Just rode a horse up and down the country all around and just preached every, every which way. Often teaching in front of crowds of hundreds and even up into the multiple thousands of people, which I don't know how you did that back then. Like, I don't know how you could talk to thousands of people using just your voice. It's crazy. It's called projection. You mean this? Oh, I don't even think you peaked. Yeah. That was good. Uh, anyway, uh, talking about John Wesley here. Um, and what no, I, that would hurt your voice if you talked for a long time like that. That wasn't projection? No. Well, you're the thespian. That was just I don't know. <laughs> See, I don't know the difference. Can I make my point here? Uh, so one thing that I noticed as I'm, and I'm only, uh, you know, I'm only like several hours into a 16 plus hour audiobook. It's Oof. a whopper. But um, I, I've heard him say things in his journal a couple times as he's writing about his days and, and these preaching engagements and stuff like that. And I hear him say something that has stuck out. Um. He said, I was speaking to a large crowd today, I'm paraphrasing, and the thing he kept saying was, I noticed that there were many rich people present. And whenever he noticed rich people in his audience, he usually would say that he felt compassion for them. And I, that, I've really been struck by that because when we think of like who needs compassion, we usually think of like, well, poor people need compassion. They're the ones who need help. But Wesley actually looked at rich people and had compassion on them. And which is actually something that Jesus did as well. Jesus took pity on both the poor and the rich. We we talk about his conversation with the rich young ruler. Mm -hmm. Guy shows up. What do I need to do to to, to inherit the kingdom? He's like, well, you got to do this and that. You got to you know love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. He's like, yeah, yeah, great. You're 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 doing great. Now go give away all your possessions and give them to the poor, and then come follow me. And the guy was bummed. But at the start of that interaction, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him, or looked at him and had compassion on him. And so this is very much something that Jesus did. He saw rich people and had compassion on them. And the reason is because while a rich person may have all their material needs met, 
wealth can also be a huge barrier for them. And Jesus knew that wealth was sometimes a spiritual liability. I mean, usually we think of wealth as like an asset, but actually spiritually wealth can be a liability if it's not if it's not properly stewarded and it's not accompanied by the right heart. So it can yeah, be both a blessing and a curse. Yeah, you're more likely to depend on the money than you are on God. Precisely, yeah. And you're more likely to um, think highly of yourself because you think of yourself as the one who oh. accumulated all that wealth. But of course, the Bible debunks that myth as well, saying, well, who do you think gave you the ability to produce income? <laughs> God is the <laughs> Such answer. Such a great counterpoint. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9, make the point that that Jason was just saying. And I, this is a, a verse that I've really tried to kind of cling to in my own life, and I sometimes wander from it, and I need to get myself back in check. Um, sometimes I find myself like, oh, man, it'd really be nice to make a little bit more money, and I kind of let myself go down that mental rabbit trail. But I really love this proverb, Proverb 30, verse 7 through 9. It says, oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So this is kind of talking about the spiritual Goldilocks zone for um, for wealth, you know, that having too little can be a trap because, you know, being under the pressure of poverty can drive evil behaviors like stealing and, and that kind of stuff. Um, but also being on the high end, uh, the high end of income or being rich um, can also be dangerous as well. Like Jason said, you can lean on your own understanding, lean on your own resources and suddenly God sort of gets edged out of your life, which leaves you in a really spiritually vulnerable situation. So wealth does not impress God. Fame does not impress God. What's next? Achievements. Achievements don't impress God either. First uh, John 2, 15 through 17 says this. It says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. What that verse is getting at is the difference between things of heaven or things of the kingdom of God, things that will last eternally, and things of this world, which may seem all great now, but they will fade, just like everything in this world fades. Everything in this world will go away. But what we're talking, but what God says is, is, is focus rather on on eternal things or things with eternal implications, um, and. And really, a point in this is that achievements on their own are 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 not bad. Achievements, as a thing, like are are just are not bad. But achievements become a problem when they are driven by selfish ambition. Hmm. It is it is possible to do a good thing with a bad motive. So it's it's not wrong to want to succeed. It's not wrong to have achievement in different things. In fact, we are we are told to work with excellence in the things that we do. But, you don't have to go throw away all your t-ball trophies. They're not a bad thing. You don't have to. Yeah, if you still have them for all, all those <laughs> participation trophies. Yeah. Uh, um, but 
Why do you assume I only get participation trophies? I wasn't talking about you specifically, <laughs> Doug, although I think I got a little insecurity coming out of you. <laughs> All um, right. You're right. Okay. <laughs> uh, but what we're talking about is that achieve is is achievement for selfish ambition. I, I mentioned this I think last week about um, are you seeking to bring glory to God or glory to yourself? And when you're um, working hard on something, and perhaps we're even working hard to achieve something, it's asking yourself the question, am I just trying to prop myself up and have this achievement for my pleasure, my benefit, or am I working for God and and seeking to bring Him glory in all that I do? Yeah, think back to last week's episode, if you listened to it, we talked about um, how every tree produces fruit, and some trees are good trees that produce good fruit. Some trees are bad trees that produce bad fruit. Um, and sometimes fruit that looks good on the outside is not actually so good on the inside. So this whole idea of achievements, achievements are good. You might achieve great things for the kingdom, but you, you should not achieve great things for the kingdom at the expense of your own heart yeah. and at the expense of your own relationship with God. Because what God desires most, as Jason said at the top of the episode, is, or was in the last episode, but God wants us to know him. He said, I don't want your sacrifices. Yeah, I don't want you to do all these fancy things. I want you to know Hosea. me. Hosea. Um, number four, not number five, as our notes say. Number four. My bad. Doug's bad. It's all right. Just letting you know. Is is power. Power does not impress God. Um, f- great verse here, 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. says, instead, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. There's something that is so um, so impactful about this idea that no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Yeah, that line hit me too. It, it, it truly does. It hits you because at the end of the day, as Doug mentioned earlier about about the idea of making money, it all goes back to God of who gave you a, the ability to make money. In other, in, in this, in these cases, it's it's who you know who was with you, who brought you through these you know obstacles, who or or through these trials, who who propped you up to the. It, it all goes back to God, mm-hmm. and that's something that we have to remember: is is God is is sovereign. God is the 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 Lord of the universe, the creator of the universe. He is omnipotent. All these things we've talked about before in our attributes of God series. Yeah. And so and so what we do literally it just goes back it goes back to God. Yeah. You can be the most powerful person on earth, but completely miss the point of human existence yeah. by ignoring your creator. I mean the the whole creation as far as we know and as far as the Bible teaches, at least our realm of creation is uh, is all designed in order to make relationship between God and people possible. Mm-hmm. And so to live on this earth and to just, you know, try to gain wealth and tr- try to, you know, become powerful and influential and all that stuff at the expense of relationship with God is just to complete, just, just completely miss the point of what creation is all about. You just miss it entirely. And thus you end up with a life that, um, you know, comes to a close and feels meaningless. 
All right, number four, five. I switched the order <laughs> of these, and now I got myself all discombobulated. Um, number five, thing that does not impress God is intelligence. First Corinthians 3.19 says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the scriptures say, he traps the wise in the snare of their own cleverness. We probably, you know, can all think of people that we've known or, or you know, think of people who, who were who are popular or known for being intelligent, who are also uh, unwise in the way that they lived. So there, there's definitely, we see a, that uh, intelligence and wisdom is not always correlated. Wisdom in the sense of, you know, being able to make wise choices in life. But intelligence is actually a form of power, um, similar to money. Oh, we've all heard the adage like, no, knowledge is power. <laughs> um, knowledge is power. <laughs> yeah. But it's actually true because it's, it's it, when you have, when you have a lot of intelligence, you have a resource that can be used to kind of like, you know, help you through the world. And through intelligence, you can sometimes gain wealth or through intelligence, you can sometimes gain a power and that sort of thing. But it's something that can be wielded either for good or for evil. And people who are intelligent should recognize that their intelligence was given to them by God and they shouldn't, uh, and they should let their minds be governed by God and by his principles and be governed by a, a humble heart. So intelligence is a resource that can be used for the kingdom of God, but it's not something that should just be gloried in in and of itself. And we got to remember, like Jason said about power, like it doesn't impress God in the least, and he's the omnipotent creator of all things and the omniscient knower of all things. <clears throat> so when we think about our own intelligence, we got to realize like we're we're dumber than amoebas compared to our creator. I mean, we, we have zero intelligence in comparison to him. And, and sometimes our intelligence can get in the way of... Yeah. You know, or or I should say, some we can stumble over our own intellect. Mm -hmm. Like I think about like if you watch debates sometimes between atheists and theists or whatever. Mm -hmm. in, in the atheist guys are very intelligent guys. Like these yeah. are guys that are incredibly smart, but oftentimes they will stumble over their intellect. Yeah. And it miss the forest for the tree, if you will. In this, and instead try to outthink themselves almost or try to outthink god yeah you see them get lost in their own maze yeah like they create their own they create a picture of the world that is without god but is so uh overly complicated and completely misses the human realities that we all can't help but notice um and it's kind of a bummer to see and honestly it, yeah. it's kind of like kind of like we talked about with wealth the whole west the wesleyan thing you know it, there's a there's a moment at times where I'm like, wow, some people are so intelligent that they uh, they fall into their own ditch. You know, they end up they end up kind of winding themselves in circles and becoming very very lost. Um, somebody that you know, I, I haven't talked about him too much lately, but I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. I think most of you what? know. If you're a longtime no. listener, you you know that. Uh, yeah, I do like C.S. <laughs> Lewis quite a bit. Yeah, wish he was still hanging around so I could like go chat with him. Um, but anyway, C.S. Lewis is an example of a guy who was extraordinarily brilliant, was confounded for a long time, actually, by his own brilliance, and his his search for God was was a little bit uh, halting at first. Um, but ultimately, God drew him, and and you know he began a relationship with God, and that was a cool process to to read about. Um, but he's also a guy who, though he was incredibly brilliant, I mean, just really one of the most brilliant. Um, Christian thinkers and writers of the last hundred years, um, 
he was also a guy who the people that knew him knew him as being extremely um, humble and self-forgetful, that he was just uh, kind to people. He was loving toward his wife. He was um, just not somebody who self-promoted and made a big deal about himself or his own intelligence. And in fact, you see it in his writing too. I mean, if you, if you ever read something by C.S. Lewis, you'll actually hear him uh, many times claim just not knowing things. He'll be like, you know, on this point, um, maybe a, a priest could correct me and tell me that I'm wrong on this, or or I would leave this to somebody else who would understand it better. And he would say things, he, he would admit his lack of knowledge in certain areas in spite of his intelligence. So anyway, intelligence does not impress God because to him, um, it's it's like nothing. And it can be a trap just like every other form of, of wealth or plenty. Yeah. Next up. Numero seis, beauty. Uh, I have a verse here I'm going to read, and we're not going to spend too long on this one because it kind of goes, it's, it's kind of similar to some of the other ones, but let's get this verse um, out there. Isaiah 40, 6 through 8 says, A voice said, Shout, I asked, what should I shout? Shout that people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. What this is getting at is don't strive for beauty. Rather, appreciate beauty that comes from God. Hmm. Um, We actually have a retreat that we offer called Behold, but it looks at at how we are to view the world and, and view things through the lens of God's beauty. And it's 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 really in, impactful in, in thinking of how we are to look at the world, and instead of trying to trying to make ourselves as beautiful externally as possible, a um, don't forget God looks at the interior <laughs> too. So he looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. It, B is is every everything in this world ultimately, as we've talked about, fades away, but the things of God last forever. So. Focus on on the beauty that comes from God. Good. And number seven, another thing that does not impress God, and this is a big one that gets spoken to a lot in the Bible. We're going to read a passage from Isaiah on this. Religious gestures. God's just not impressed by um, external religion. And he talks in Isaiah 1, 11 through 17 um, pretty powerfully. And um, he's basically just, he's just condemning his people because they had sort of just fallen apart and their their love for him had vanished and all that was left was just empty rituals. They were doing the law of Moses at, at a certain level, at the ritual level, but they weren't obeying um, the truth of God's heart and they weren't actually living out the principles that he had commanded his people to live by. So I'm going to read this uh, few verses here. It's 11 through 17 of Isaiah chapter 1. Did I put that on here right? I think that's right. Um, Anyway, let me read this. God says to his people, what makes you think I want all your sacrifices, says the Lord? I am sick of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to worship me, Who asked you to parade through my courts with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgust me. 
As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days for fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen, for your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Wash yourselves and be clean. Get your sins out of my sight. Give up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans. Fight for the rights of widows. This pictures for us powerfully that God is so uninterested in external things. He is interested in the content of our hearts and our devotion to Him. Um, and so we can kind of bottom line this, um, asking the question, what is God looking for? Uh, Jason will take us into that. Well, I'm going to take you into the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Let's do it. Mark 12, 29 through 31 says, Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Now, we've talked about the great commandment before. Mm-hmm. But our very first episodes, actually. Our very first chunk of episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's always important to go back to, and really, that's, that's the answer to the question. What is God looking for? He's looking for you. He's looking for your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Mm-hmm. He's, looking at, he's looking for you to love your neighbor as yourself. He is looking for you to live godly lives. And that's really what this is coming down to. As we've talked about, the Lord looks at the heart. Well, the heart's in there. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Yeah, the total person. It, the total person. And mm-hmm. and so all these things that we've said that God isn't impressed with, if, you, if you're left wondering, then what does impress God? A, a, a heart mind, soul, strength that is geared towards him, that is completely and totally in love with him, Mm -hmm. that seeks his will, that worships him, that lives for him. Yeah, That's what impresses God. Yeah, that that makes me want to jump back to something that Jesus said in the parable that we initially read, the parable of the cup and the whitewashed tombs. Jesus said, you know, remember he's talking to the Pharisees, he's saying, look, you're all clean on the outside and shiny, but, but dirty on the inside. Jesus says, First, wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. So the idea here is that if you if you will devote yourself to God at the heart level, everything else will come into focus, that your behaviors will shift when your heart shifts. Just because you change your behaviors doesn't mean your heart is changing. The Pharisees are a perfect example of that. Great behaviors on the surface, bad hearts underneath. Jesus is saying, no, if you, can, if you get the heart right, then everything else will come into focus. Everything else will will be made right in that shift. So on that note, let's move into doable time. This week, uh, I want to encourage you to make, uh, to make it a week of self-examination. So as you make choices throughout the day, whether it's big ones or small ones, I'd love for you to ask yourself, why am I doing this? 
So when you're about to make a choice, ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I making this decision? What's my true motive? And will this choice draw me closer to Jesus, or will it cause my heart to harden and be drawn away from him? So think about your internal life as you make decisions this week. Don't just do things because of habit. Don't just do things because it just makes sense to you in the moment, but actually be thoughtful about what you do and say, will this be honoring to God, and does this uh, affirm my love for Jesus or not? And as you discover areas of selfishness, which will inevitably come up because we all still are dealing with those things, we've all got to kind of inventory ourselves. If those areas come up, then just confess them to God and ask him for help in overcoming them. Say, God, I'm sorry that my motives are, are wrong in this, or I'm sorry that I've been, you know, instead of loving my spouse, I've been really just loving myself and serving myself through them. I really haven't been showing them the love that I need to or whatever the area may be. And if you notice a positive shift in your heart and you notice like, this is, I'm actually seeing a little bit of shift here that I'm, I, I'm actually, um, I feel like God is renewing my heart a little bit in these areas, then give thanks to God and ask him to help you become even more self-aware and reveal more areas that need, that need growth and need examination. So just let this be a mindful week where you're looking at your choices and um, trying to see beneath the surface. What is my, what is my heart really doing here? Uh, and I think if you do that, um, you'll discover some some probably interesting things about yourself, and it'll kind of lead to um, well, honestly, it could potentially lead to to real spiritual breakthrough for you. So we encourage you to do that this week. Take the time to to slow down. Anything else from you, Jason? Are we going to close this episode with a little Shania? We're not going to close this episode. <sighs> you think we can afford Shania? <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everybody, if you say so. We love you. Thanks for listening. We'll be back to, to talk about another theme from the parables next week. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of video content. And if you're already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com doable to check out all our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Music